you are receiving this transmission, you are reclaiming the faith with Phil Baker on the Fourth Watch Radio Network. Welcome to episode 70 of Reclaiming the Faith, a podcast with a mission to reveal what the earliest Christians believed about the core issues facing us today. I'm your host, Phil Baker. Now, let's dig into history. Hey, y'all, thank you so much for taking time to listen to Reclaiming the Faith. Thank you for praying for me and my podcasting partners, BDK and Justin Fall, the Fourth Watch Radio Network. Thank you for praying for my family as well. We appreciate those prayers so, so much. Well, today in episode 70, I'm looking at the letter written by Jesus's brother, James. Martin Luther said that this epistle, this letter, was an epistle of straw containing nothing of the gospel in it. And what we're going to see today is that just by looking at chapter 1 of James, we're going to see that virtually every verse of chapter 1 of the letter of James can be traced back to something that Jesus says or does in the gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. All right, well, if you're blessed by today's episode, please consider leaving a rating and review on my iTunes channel, Reclaiming the Faith, as that will help others find this content much easier. In 2016, I wrote a book called New Wineskins and the Simple Words of Christ. And if, you, if it's been a blessing to you, I want to encourage you to leave a rating review on Amazon where you can find it there. There's both the hard copy and a Kindle copy. So please go check that out. Also, my music uh, can be found on my website, philsbaker.com, all the stuff I've done. In fact, everything you need can be found at at philsbaker.com, the podcast, the blog, the music, the Patreon, which is patreon.com slash philsbaker. If you want to support me and Reclaiming the Faith, that's a great way to do it. And if you do decide to give $5 or more to the Patreon account, you'll get two videos every month, one being an acoustic version of one of my songs, and also another video detailing an early Christian or an early Christian writing. Uh, So I just put out one called uh, On the Apology of Aristides. I really want to encourage you to check that out. It's just an awesome early Christian apologetic work written to the emperor of Rome at the time of Aristides around 125 AD. All right, well, like I said earlier, I'm blessed to be a part of Justin Fall's Fourth Watch Radio Network, along with BDK of Omega Frequency, who I do a monthly Q&A show with called Ready With An Answer. And if anything I talk about here on Reclaiming the Faith sparks a question or anything BDK or Justin Fall talk about, brings a question to your mind, please feel free to write in a question, whether that be like on our Facebook pages, or uh, you can email me at email philsbaker at gmail.com. You can hit BDK up at omegafrequency.com. Ask us that question, and then we'll be sure to answer it on Ready With An Answer uh, once a month. All right, well, the early Christian quotes that I use can generally be found on the CD-ROM version of the Anti-Nicene Fathers, which you can find you can purchase for a mere $5 on the Scroll Publishing website, scrollpublishing.com. 
Without any further ado, let's go ahead and get episode 70 rolling. Well, I've said before in different podcasts that I definitely enjoy a good punch to the face from the scriptures when I'm hearing a sermon. And just about any sermon on the book of James is going to give you that spiritual punch to the face or punch to the gut. If, if you're ever feeling like you're doing great in your Christian walk, just read, you know, like First John or the book of James, and uh, it'll bring us to a place of humility pretty quickly. Well, James was Jesus's oldest younger brother. He's written about in Mark chapter 3 when James and Mary and his other brothers come to basically arrest Jesus in a sense, basically to take charge of him because they think he is out of his mind and they're going to try to put a stop to his ministry. He's also talked about in John chapter 7, James and his brothers come again to Jesus. This time they're basically trying to set him up because They know the Jews in Jerusalem have been plotting to put him to death, and it's time to go to the Feast of Tabernacles. And so they're like, hey, Jesus, you should go up there. You know, nobody who wants to remain, or nobody who wants to be a public figure is going to hide from the public, you know, don't keep silent. Go up to the feast. It's really messed up. So they're actually probably very embarrassed by Jesus, and they want to see him die. Well, James made a flip. James made a great transition, a great transformation after the resurrection of Jesus. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 15, For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that He was buried, that He was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures, and that He appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve, After that, he appeared to more than 500 brethren at one time, most of whom remain until now, but some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, and last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared to me also. So it's pretty neat that there are three people that Jesus appeared to personally that Paul writes about. Of course, he appeared to Mary uh, Magdalene in the garden, but Three people that Paul points out here. He appeared to Peter, to Cephas, to James, and to Paul. Jesus made it a very important point to address these three men because all three had greatly been opposing the mission and work of Jesus. And James becomes a very important character in the book of Acts. As he, as you can see in Acts 15, presides over the Jerusalem council about whether Gentiles need to be circumcised, what kind of laws they need to, from the Old Testament, they need to adhere to. James is presiding over that, basically. Even though there's shared leadership, the apostles defer to the brother of Jesus, James. So, it's interesting that with James having such a position of prominence and um, receiving such encouragement personally from Jesus after rising from the dead in a way that Paul did and Peter did, that one of the main reformers, 
Martin Luther would suggest that James' epistle was basically worthless, not, com- not containing any part, any nature of the gospel in it. Let me read to you some of that introduction. He says this, Luther says this, See, then, that you approach the books of the New Testament as to learn to read them in this way. From all this you can now judge all the books and decide among them which are the best. John's Gospel and St. Paul's Epistles, especially that to the Romans and St. Peter's First Epistle, are the true kernel and marrow of all the books. They ought rightly be the first books, and it would be advisable for every Christian to read them first and most, and by daily reading, make them as familiar as his daily bread. John's gospel is the one tender, true chief gospel, far, far to be preferred to the other three, and placed high above them. So, too, the epistles of St. Paul and St. Peter far surpass the other three Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. In a word, St. John's Gospel and his first epistle, St. Paul's epistles, especially Romans, Galatians, and Ephesians, and St. Peter's first epistle are the books that show you Christ and teach you all that is necessary and good for you to know, even though you were never to see or hear any other book or doctrine. Therefore, St. James's epistle is really an epistle of straw compared to them, for it has nothing of the nature of the gospel about it. Pretty strong words from Luther there. So, let's see if James' epistle has anything of the nature of the gospel about it. Does it have the slightest bit of gospel? Or is it jam-packed full of gospel? Let's find out. The first thing I'd like to mention is that the way Luther describes gospel may not be exactly the way the biblical writers described gospel. In the Greek, the beginnings of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John all begin this way. The gospel according to Matthew. The gospel according to Mark the gospel according to Luke, the gospel according to John. And while to Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the gospel definitely did include the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, it also included his life and his teaching. James knew this, and you're going to see so much of Jesus' teaching in James, which is part as well of the good news, the gospel of Jesus. Let's dive in. So, in James chapter 1, verse 1, James writes, James, a bondservant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes who are dispersed abroad, greetings. This word bondservant is very important, this word doulos. Luke 17 writes about the word doulos, where Jesus says this, Luke 17, 7 through 10, which of you having a slave plowing or tending sheep will say to him when he has come in from the field, come immediately and sit down to eat. But will he not say to him, prepare something for me to eat 
and properly clothe yourself and serve me while I eat and drink, and afterward you may eat and drink. He does not thank the doulos, the slave, because he did the things which were commanded, does he? So you too, when you do all the things which you are commanded to do, say, we are unworthy douloi, we are unworthy slaves. We have done only that which we ought to have done. James could have addressed himself as James, the brother of Jesus and the leader of the church at Jerusalem. But no, he just says, I'm a bondservant. I'm a fellow doulos of Jesus Christ. Going to James chapter 1, verse 2 through 4, James writes, Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance, and let endurance have its perfect result so that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. It seems as if James is pulling directly from the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus' words in the Beatitudes, starting in chapter 5, verse 10 through 12, where Jesus says, Blessed are those who have been persecuted for the sake of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward in heaven is great, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. And after James told us to consider it joy when we encounter trials, knowing that the testing of our faith produced endurance, he says, let endurance have its perfect results so that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Well, if you're trying to do what Jesus said, you're going to have some tough times. You're going if you're going to love your enemy, if you're going to try to live out the teachings of Jesus, it's going to be really tough, but that's how we become mature and complete looking like our heavenly Father. Continuing in Matthew chapter 5 and verse 38, Jesus said, "You've heard it said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, but I say to you, do not resist an evil person. But whoever slaps you on your cheek, turn the other to him also. If anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, let him have your coat also. Whoever forces you to go 1 mile, go with him too. Give to him who asks of you, and do not turn away from him who wants to borrow from you. For you have heard it was said, you shall love your neighbor" and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For he causes his Son to rise on the evil and the good, and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? If you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? Therefore, you are to be perfect, just as your heavenly Father is perfect. Jesus wants to be mature and complete, reflecting the image of our heavenly Father who loves his enemies. And that is very costly, and yet it brings so much good into the world. Continuing in James chapter 1, verse 5-8, through 8, He writes, But if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all generously and without reproach, and it will be given to him. 
but he must ask in faith without doubting. For the one who doubts is like the surf of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. For that man ought not to expect that he will receive anything from the Lord, being a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. Well, let's give first just a picture of this, these words from James. In Matthew chapter 14, when Jesus was walking on the water and Peter asked him if he could come out to meet Jesus. This is chapter 14 of Matthew, verses 25 through 31. And in the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking out on the sea. When the disciples saw him walking out on the sea, they were terrified and said, It is a ghost. And they cried out in fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them, saying, Take courage, it is I. Do not be afraid. Peter said to him, Lord, if it is you, command me to come out to you on the water. And Jesus said, Come. And Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came toward Jesus. But seeing the wind, he became frightened, and beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately, Jesus stretched out his hand and took hold of him, and he said to him, You of little faith, why did you doubt? Another example from the Gospel of Matthew in chapter 21, verses 18 through 22. Now, in the morning when Jesus was returning to the city, he became hungry. Seeing a lone fig tree by the road, he came to it and found nothing on it except leaves only. And he said to it, No longer shall there be any fruit from you. And at once the fig tree withered. Seeing this, the disciples were amazed and asked, How did the fig tree wither all at once? And Jesus said, Truly, I say to you, if you have faith and do not doubt, you will not only do what has been done to the fig tree, but even if you say to this mountain, be taken up and cast into the sea, it will happen. And all things you ask in prayer, believing, you will receive. Moving on, James chapter 1, verses 9 through 11, he writes, But the brother of humble circumstances is to glory in his high position, and the rich man is to glory in his humiliation, because like flowering grass he will pass away. For the sun rises with a scorching wind and withers the grass, and its flowers fall off, and the beauty of its appearance is destroyed. So too, the rich man, in the midst of his pursuits, will fade away. Jesus says similar things in Luke chapter 12, verse 15 through 21, about the rich. He said to them, Beware and be on your guard against every form of greed. For not even when one has an abundance does his life consist of his possessions. And he told them a parable, saying, The land of a rich man was very productive. And he began reasoning to himself, saying, What shall I do, since I have no place to store my crops? And then he said, This is what I will do. I'll tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, you have many goods laid up for many years to come. Take your ease, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, You fool, this very night your soul is required of you, 
And now who will own what you have prepared? So is the man who stores up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. Jesus tells another parable contrasting the rich and the poor in Luke chapter 16. He says, Now there was a rich man, and he habitually dressed in purple and fine linen, joyously living in splendor every day. And a poor man named Lazarus was laid at his gate, covered with sores, and longing to be fed with the crumbs which were falling from the rich man's table. Besides, even the dogs were coming and licking his sores. Now, the poor man died and was carried away by the angels to Abraham's bosom. And the rich man also died and was buried. In Hades, he lifted up his eyes, being in torment, and saw Abraham far away and Lazarus in his bosom. And he cried out and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus so that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool off my tongue, for I am in agony in this flame. But Abraham said, Child, remember that during your life you received your good things, and likewise Lazarus bad things. But now he is being comforted here and you are in agony. And besides all this, between us and you, there is a great chasm fixed so that those who wish to come over from here to you will not be able and that none may cross over from there to us. And he said, then I beg you, Father Abraham, that you send him to my father's house, for I have five brothers in order that he may warn them so that they will not come to this place of torment. But Abraham said, They have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. But he said, No, Father Abraham, if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. But he said to him, If they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, they will not be persuaded, even if someone rises from the dead. Moving on to James chapter 1, verse 12. James writes, Blessed is the man who perseveres under trial, for once he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life with the, which the Lord has promised to those who love him. That's a powerful verse, by the way, and we're going to come back to it at the end. Where did James get that from? Well, in Matthew chapter 24, Jesus says to his disciples, starting in verse 4, See to it that no one misleads you, for many will come in my name saying, I am the Christ, and will mislead many. You will be hearing of wars and rumors of war. See that you are not frightened, for those things must take place, but that is not yet the end. For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom, and in various places there will be famines and earthquakes, but all these things are merely the beginning of birth pangs. Then they will deliver you to tribulation and will kill you, and you will be hated by all nations because of my name. At that time, many will fall away and will betray one another and hate one another. Many false prophets will arise and will mislead many. Because lawlessness is increased, most people's love will grow cold. But the one who endures to the end, he 
will be saved. Remember, blessed is the man who perseveres under trial. For once he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to those who love him. There's so much temptation in that period. There will be to fall away. So James says in chapter 1, verse 13 through 15, Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted by evil, and he himself does not tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when he is carried away and enticed by his own lust. Then, when lust has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And when sin is accomplished, it brings forth death. James talking about how sin comes from within us, out of the heart. And Jesus said that too. In Matthew chapter 15, verses 17 through 20, Jesus said, Do you not understand that everything that goes into the mouth passes into the stomach and is eliminated? But the things that proceed out of the mouth come from the heart, and those defile the man. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witness, slanders. These are the things which defile a man. But to eat with unwashed hands does not defile the man. In John chapter 12, we see a picture of this passage in James. People being carried away and enticed by our own lust, which gives birth to sin, and sin brings death. In John chapter 12, John writes, Jesus, therefore, six days before the Passover, came to Bethany, where Lazarus was, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. So they made him supper there, and Martha was serving, but Lazarus was one of those reclining at the table with him. Mary then took a pound of very costly perfume of pure nard and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair, and the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. But Judas Iscariot, one of his disciples who was intending to betray him, said, Why was this perfume not sold for three hundred denarii and given to poor people? Now, he said this not because he was concerned about the poor, but because he was a thief. And as he had the money box, he used to pilfer what was put into it. Moving on. James chapter 1, verse 16 through 18. James writes, Do not be deceived, my beloved brethren. Every good thing given and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shifting shadow. In the exercise of His will, He brought us forth by the word of truth so that we would be a kind of first fruits among His creatures. We are definitely, we definitely fall into sin when we are not viewing God correctly, when we are not seeing Him as good and holy. And so Jesus taught His disciples to pray in this way. In Matthew chapter 6, verse 19 through 13, He said, Our Father, 
who is in heaven. Hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. When we are seeing our Father as a heavenly Father, not an earthly Father, but Holy Father, no, no darkness in Him, full of light, and we really live like He is that way, people see His kingdom coming through us and His will being done in us as it is in heaven. We are like a kind of first fruits among his creatures. James chapter 1, in verse 19 through 21, James writes, This you know, my beloved brethren, but everyone must be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. For the anger of man does not achieve the righteousness of God. Therefore, putting aside all filthiness and all that remains of wickedness, in humility, receive the word implanted, which is able to save your souls. And when I read this, immediately what came to my mind is the parable of what's called the prodigal son, sometimes called the parable of two sons. And it reminded me of the older brother after the younger brother repented and came home and the father reinstated him. Starting in Luke 15, verse 25, Luke writes, Now, and, and Jesus is speaking, Now, his older son was in the field, and when he came and approached the house, he heard music and dancing, and he summoned one of the servants and began inquiring what these things could be. And he said to him, Your brother has come. And your father has killed the fattened calf because he received him back safe and sound. But the older son became angry and was not willing to go in. And his father came out and began pleading with him. But he answered and said to his father, Look, for so many years I have been serving you, and I have never neglected a command of yours, and yet you have never given me a young goat so that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came, who has devoured your wealth with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. But the father said to him, Son, you have always been with me, and all that is mine is yours. But we had to celebrate and rejoice, for this brother of yours was dead and has now begun to live. He was lost and now he has been found. The anger of the older, older son was keeping him out of the celebration. He needed to receive the father's words with humility and he would be a part of it as well. James 1, 22 through 24 says, but prove yourselves doers of the word and not merely hearers who delude themselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks at his natural face in a mirror. For once he has looked at himself and gone away, he has immediately forgotten what kind of person he was. 
It seems like James is referencing the Sermon on the Mount as Jesus is bringing it to a close. And he says in chapter 7 of Matthew, verses 24 through 27, Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and acts on them may be compared to a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and slammed against the house. And yet it did not fall for it had been founded on the rock. Everyone who hears these words of mine and does not act on them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rains fell, the floods came, and the winds blew and slammed against that house, and it fell, and great was its fall. Getting back to James, chapter 1, verse 25, James says, But the one who looks intently at the perfect law, the law of liberty, and abides by it, not having become a forgetful hearer, but an effectual doer, this man will be blessed in what he does. And it's interesting on Jesus' last night on earth, how the apostles were basically looking at the embodiment of the perfect law. They were dining with the embodiment of the law of liberty. And this is what Jesus says that night in John chapter 13, verse 13 through 17, after he has washed their feet. He says, You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I then, the Lord and teacher, washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I gave you an example that you should do as I do. Truly, truly, I say to you, a slave is not greater than his master, nor is one who is sent greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, you are blessed if you do them. Moving on, James chapter 1, verse 26. If anyone thinks himself to be religious and yet does not bridle his tongue but deceives his own heart, this man's religion is worthless. And Jesus said in Matthew 12, verse 33 through 37, Either make the tree good and its fruit good, or make the tree bad and its fruit bad, for the tree is known by its fruit. You brood of vipers, how can you, being evil, speak what is good? For the mouth speaks out of that which fills the heart. The good man brings out of his good treasure what is good, and the evil man brings out of his evil treasure what is evil. But I tell you that every careless word that people speak, they shall give an accounting for it in the day of judgment. For by your words, you will be justified. And by your words, you will be condemned. If that's not a punch in the face, I don't know what is. Moving to the end. James chapter 1, verse 27. James writes, Pure and undefiled religion in the sight of our God and Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their distress 
and to keep oneself unstained by the world. In a very long sermon of Jesus, Matthew chapter 24 and 25, we're looking at verse or chapter 25, starting in verse 31, pure and undefiled religion. But when the Son of Man comes in his glory, and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne, and all the nations will be gathered before him. He will separate from them from separate them from one another as the shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. The king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink? And when did we see you a stranger and invite you in or naked and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and come to you? But the king will answer and say to them, Truly I say to you, to the extent that you did it to one of these brothers of mine, even to the least of them, you did it to me. Then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, accursed ones, into the fire which has been prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger, and you did not invite me in, naked, and you did not clothe me, sick and in prison, and you did not visit me. Then they themselves will also answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry, or thirsty, or a stranger, or naked, or sick, or in prison, and did not take care of you? And he will say to them, Truly, I say to you, to the extent that you did not do it, to one of the least of these. You did not do it to me. These will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. Now, like I said earlier, I mean, that is just a spiritual whooping. I mean, it is a punch in the face over and over and over again. And maybe that's why Luther just wanted to get rid of it in a sense. Maybe that's why Luther said that it had nothing of the gospel in it, but maybe he had a misunderstanding of the gospel, of the good news. But we, when we are facing such a trial, even the trial of just reading and accepting Scripture and seeking by God's grace to demonstrate our love to God by obeying His commands, right? In the face of that kind of trial, we don't need to throw that weight off our neck. We need to try to endure that trial by God's grace. Like James said, blessed is a man who perseveres under trial. For once he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to those who love him. You know, James demonstrated his great love for the kind, rescuing, and delivering Savior that he had in his brother, Jesus. He loved him to the very end. 
Josephus, who was a Jewish uh, scholar working for the Romans, he's a historian, a very learned man, began working for the Romans and detailing a history of the Jews, actually talks about the death of James around 62 AD. This is in book 20 of Josephus's Antiquities in chapter 9. And he writes, Festus was now dead. That's the Festus that Paul gets to talk with in Acts. He says, Festus was now dead, and Albinus was but upon the road. So he assembled the Sanhedrin of, ju- of judges and brought before them the brother of Jesus, who was called Christ, whose name was James. And some others were some of his companions. And when he had formed an accusation against them as breakers of the law, he delivered them to be stoned. Now, uh, when you think about stoning, a lot of times we think of someone just standing there and everybody picks up rocks and stones them. But that's not how stoning worked in Jesus' day. This is from the Mishnah, from Sanhedrin 45 It writes, it says, The elevation of the stoning grounds was twice the height of a man. One of the witnesses to the crime pushes him by his hips so that he falls on his side. If he falls onto his chest, he is turned onto his hips. If he dies from the fall, the court has fulfilled its obligation. If he's still alive, the second second witness takes a stone and places it on his chest. If the condemned man dies, the court has fulfilled its obligation. And if he's not dead, he is stoned by all of Israel. So how it begins, the stoning begins, is by someone pushing you off a ledge or a hill. Something that has to be at least twice the height of a man. So generally speaking, something that has to be at least over 10 to 12 feet high and sometimes higher. And if they die from the fall, the stoning is over. There actually hasn't been a stone thrown. Then a huge rock gets dropped on you from that place if you're not not dead. And then if you're still not dead, then everybody rallies around and uh, basically gets one stone each to throw at you. So take that into consideration as we look at Eusebius. This is a church, a Christian historian, as he quotes Clement of Alexandria around 195 AD. Eusebius writes, but Clement of Alexandria relates the following things concerning James. The Lord, after his resurrection, imparted knowledge to James the just and to John and Peter, and they imparted it to the rest of the apostles and the rest of the apostles to the 70 of whom Barnabas was one. But James, called the just, was thrown from the pinnacle of the temple and was beaten to death with a club by a fuller. Just kind of like a launderer. Now, there's a little bit of debate as to where the pinnacle of the temple was. Some think it's like the southeast corner of the Temple Mount. Some think it's the southwest corner. Either way, it was a place where one could stand over a large group of people and give an address, and it would be quite a significant fall, way, way higher than 10 to 12 feet way, way higher. Well, they tossed him from the pinnacle of the temple. As you continue to read Eusebius, they actually asked him, they asked James to 
deny Christ in front of a large group of Jews because so many Jewish leaders were were converting to the faith, as James actually says in the book of Acts, when he's meeting with Paul. And so these Jewish leaders come around James, they're like, We're no, we know you're just, we know you don't show partiality, so, you know, testify, tell us that Jesus is not the Christ. But uh, James does not um, back down. He endures to the end. He says, why do you ask me concerning Jesus, the Son of Man? He sits himself in heaven at the right hand of the great power of God and is about to come on the clouds of heaven. And when many were fully convinced and gloried in the testimony of James, he said, Hosanna to the Son of David. Now, these scribes and Pharisees who asked him to deny Christ realized that they had messed up. And they said, uh, we have done badly in supplying such testimony to Jesus. Like they gave him a forum to preach the gospel to the crowds. So they went up to the, temp- the pinnacle of the temple and they threw down James, the just man, and said to each other, let us stone James the just. And they began to stone him for he was not killed by the fall. See how... Um, Eusebius is working together with Josephus. And, uh, but he turned and knelt down and said, James, you now prays. He says, I entreat you, Lord God, our Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they're doing. And while they were thus stoning him, one of the priests of the sons of Rechab, the son of the Rechabites, who were mentioned by Jeremiah the prophet, cried out and said, Stop, what are you doing? The just one prays for you. And one of them, who was a fuller, took the club with which he beat out clothes, and he struck the man, James, on the head. And thus James suffered martyrdom. So James was very much disrespected by the Jewish leaders of his day. And then James was very much disrespected by Martin Luther. I wonder how are we going to treat the brother of Jesus who lived out for us the verse, Blessed is the man who perseveres under trial. For once he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to those who love him. God bless you. crop comes what you gonna do you can build bigger barns like your heart tells you to you'll amaze the neighbors make them go ooh and ah you're in the big time now building bigger barns
small thing